1 Corinthians chapter 13. Talk a little bit about the love of God and also Luke 15. I'm first going to read from Luke chapter 15. Now, oh, before I read, let me do this. Um, you know, so many times we think that the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about behavior modification. How to alter our behavior into something that God will be pleased with so that we one day can go to heaven. Um, I remember years ago, I've been preaching a message that says, uh, God saves you by His grace, but you maintain your salvation by your works. So in other words, you don't have to do anything to get salvation. Jesus brings it for free. All you do is, you call on the name of Jesus, you believe that He paid for your sins, He died for you, and, uh, um, and that's what you believe. And then, when you do that, then He will grant you salvation. But that salvation will only last as long as, as what you keep up to the standard and live a holy life. The blessings of God would only last, uh, last as long as what you do good and keep up to the standard of the Bible and then the standard of what I thought in my church then was the right standard. You know, um, so there's different laws, the law of the Bible and the law of the church. You know, what we think we must do. And um, that has brought a lot of condemnation. And it brings a lot of condemnation to the church as well, um, globally. Where people, you will find, they will say that the biggest church in the world are the people that don't go to any church. Church people that went to church, got hurt or got tired, and then they decided not to go to church and just hope for the best one day when they die. Because they feel they cannot keep up to the right standard. They feel they cannot keep up to the, to the, I mean, their giving is just never enough. Their holy life is just never enough. Um, there's always a newer, higher level that we need to push through unto before God's going to bless us. Or something like, um, you know, God is keeping certain blessings back from the church, which He will only reveal in certain times. And we don't know why and when, and we are just waiting for God to do these things sometime and um, trying to persuade Him through our prayers and fastings and all those type of things. You know, we, we always have sometimes a, a new vision to do things. I'm, one of my friends came to me before the service and said to me that um, uh, he knows somebody that started, that, that went into um, this organization where they organized all these mass prayer meetings. You know, and, and, and through all this mass prayer meeting, we're going to now try and get God to do something for us. And, um, man, they're going to close down, basically, at the end of the year, this organization. Because they don't have funds. Why? Because people get tired. In the beginning, it's a good idea. They feel the, the yes, let's get together everywhere and pray that God can do something. But after three years of not seeing this breakthrough that you're waiting for, you know, you become tired. Because at every prayer meeting you repent from your sin. In every prayer meeting we, conf we, we bind the forefather spirits. In every prayer meeting we bind the spirit of uh, uh, the Freemasons. You know, in every prayer meeting we, we confess the sins of the leaders and the country and everything, waiting for God now to do something, and then nothing happens. And then we think, let's do it again next year. And next year we try again. 
And after the third year, we're gathering a lot of people, and it's still, it's as if it doesn't work. We get some effect there with people that receive Jesus at that meeting because they are, I mean, the gospel is preached and people receive Jesus. But as far as a major revival breaking out, we're finding it's not really working. The devil has been so clever to blind the church for the true revival. God revived mankind in Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. And we are not seeking a revival, but we are declaring how God revived man. You know, I want to just say this in a very simple, very easy way. And, and please, when I say this, I'm not against prayer. I pray myself, and I do pray a lot. You know, I will find myself most of the time during the day speaking to God. It's really like that. I speak to God most of the time. It's a natural thing in my heart. I'm not against prayer. And I'm for prayer. Prayer does in, uh, in, uh, uplift our hearts because we speak to God. He speaks to us. But prayer is not a grocery list that we bring to God asking, hoping for something to, <laughs> to happen uh, if, if our qualification meter in heaven reach, uh, uh, reaches green. You know? That's not how it works. Prayer is an outflow of a, of a relationship with, with God. So, um, to get back to the revival thing, you know, our mind has been so blinded into the true revival. If Adam could kill mankind in one act of disobedience, I mean, when Adam sinned, the, what did God say? Then you will die. And with Adam, died every, everybody died. Isn't it? So, if one man could bring death to everybody... Why can one man, Jesus, not bring life to everybody? So what, what, what Satan has done is he has and, and he's brought deception and make, by th making people think that they have not, that the revival that Christ brought, the life that he brought on the cross was just something potential that can only happen one day if you live up to the standard. No, God has placed us on a different platform of relating with Him. And that He did out of His great love for us. God's not angry with the world. God's not angry with the sinners. God loves all people. Now, in Luke chapter 15, verse 1, let's read it there. Um, Luke 15, verse 1. So, the first thing is, we know that God loves us. We know that God came to bring us life. And um, he's, he's reaching out in love to people that are lost. He's not angry with the world. He loves the world. Uh, Luke 15, 1. Then draw near unto him all the publicans and the sinners for to hear him. Now in the Afrikaans it says, um, and they draw near to him by custom. Okay? So it was their custom to draw near to, to him. So, the publicans and the sinners came and they drew near unto Jesus. Why did the sinners make it their business to go to Jesus? Because it was an atmosphere of no condemnation. It was an atmosphere of feeling safe. It was an atmosphere of no judgment. It was an atmosphere of mercy and grace and long-suffering, an atmosphere of kindness. That was the presence that Jesus had around him. 
Not of condemnation. The only condemnation Jesus ever spoke was towards the ministry of condemnation that condemned people. He would say to the Pharisees, your father is the devil. He would say to the people that was looking and judging people according to their works, that their hearts are evil. Amen. You know, when Jesus came, uh, um, and, and this is the wonderful thing, He came as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. That's what He came to do. So when you look at Jesus, the, the point of reference is our innocence, not our guilt, but, but how He took our sin upon Him and removed it from us. Now the message of redemption, the message of forgiveness of sins, the message of God's grace, of righteousness by faith, is not part of the gospel. It's not a category of the gospel. We don't get the mercy of God, the judgment of God, a holy life, and all these segments. The message of what God has done in Christ is the gospel. And that can bring forth a holy life. That will bring forth newness of mind. That will bring forth a new heart in, uh, inside, in, in your inside. You don't have to try and live up to the right standard. Amen. Right, so Luke chapter 15 says, The sinners made it their custom to come to Jesus and listen to Him. Now, um, I've said this before. If you go to a bar, and you're a preacher, and you say to the person smoking his fat cigar, if you ever blow that, if you ever smoke that cigarette again, then God's going to judge you. You think you're going to win him to Jesus? No ways. If you go into a bar, or you, you, you speak to sinners, and you point out their mistakes all the time, you think they're going to follow you? No, they're not. They're not. But Jesus preached a message that the sinners wanted to be with him. Now, the, the amazing thing here, it, didn't, it doesn't say that the sinners that repented, that are saints now, made it their custom to follow Jesus. So there were some people that has been in sin, they come to Jesus, they listen to Him, they go back and they sin again, and then they come and they listen to Him. But they felt in their heart, this is a safe place. I do believe that uh, uh, there would be a time when they understand what he says and yields to what he preaches and they can be set free from their sin. But it says here, the sinners made it their custom. The sinners. And this was written by one of his disciples. You know, th this is written by Luke. So Luke said, which was a disciple, said, these people are sinners. And publicans. And they come to Jesus. So the prostitutes came to Jesus. Why? I mean, imagine Jesus now, a sinner comes, somebody that may be a prostitute came to Jesus and was sitting in his, his meeting, and then at the end of the meeting, you know, he, he takes a good, uh, he's got a, a very good memory, he knows all the people, and the next time when they come again, then he says, now listen, did you stop your prostitution now? Have you stopped the sin now? Placing a focus on the works. He never did that. The sinners could come again and again and again. Not that I'm preaching and saying that you will not be set free. 
But the concept of, well, I get saved today, and then I better live a holy life, otherwise Jesus will not accept me or have a word of acceptance towards me, is not right. Jesus showed acceptance to people all the time. He loved people all the time, and He was the perfect picture of the Father. Hallelujah. When the woman came to Jesus, and she was caught in the very act of adultery, had brought her before Jesus, the Pharisees condemned her out of the Scriptures. Jesus went down onto the ground, and He was writing in the ground as if He is not hearing them. And the Bible says they asked Him over and over and over. And then after a while, I believe, He was looking into heaven, looking at the Father, looking at what the Father says about her. Then He first spoke to the Pharisees, and He said to them, You that are without sin, please throw the first stone. And then they walked away being condemned in their own minds because they know they have sinned. Then he spoke the word of God towards this person that's just caught in adultery and he says, neither do I condemn you. Isn't that awesome? And that was, listen, that was Jesus Christ's message to prostitutes. To people that's caught in the act of adultery. Neither do I condemn you. Jesus didn't come to judge the world, but to be judged, so that we can be free. Now, there is a way in which um, you know, there are people that's not going to be saved, that will, not, uh, that will go to hell. But that is not because he's done something wrong, but because he's not believed upon the sacrifice and made use of what God has given for free. You know, this love produces a holy life. You know, if I, let me put it this way, if I want my, uh, let me use another example. This, this weekend I was at people's house and I spoke to them and, and um, we had a, you know, I mean, we were just discussing scriptures and stuff. So this friend of mine told me, he said to me, Bertie, you know, um, I believe that we are saved by grace and we live by grace. But if we continue to do something wrong, then we're going to go to hell. Okay? So I said to him, okay, let's say it is true. Let's say it is true. If your daughter is in university and she gets drunk and she writes off her car and she hangs out with the guys, what are you going to tell her? How are you going to try and reach out to her? Are you going to tell her, well, because you're doing this, I want to tell you, you are not, and if you continue to do this, in other words, this is the fourth time now, I want to tell you, you're busy with willful sin, God, you cannot even be saved by God anymore because of your state of, of action, so you are on your way to hell, my girl, I want to tell you the truth. Because I asked him, what shall we preach to people if we find that they are in sin? Shall we now say to them, you are on your way to hell, you better get right, because God cannot bless you, he's, he's, you moved out from the umbrella of His protection. Should we say that to them? He said, yes, that's what we must say to them, so they can know the truth. I said, but will you say that to somebody in your family? He says, no, it's not going to work. 
It's not going to work. It's not a good tactic. Now, why is it different when it comes to family than when it comes to people you don't know? The same thing that makes you feel accepted makes another person feel accepted. You want somebody to forgive you and love you and empower you with their love. It's very easy, you know, and, and, and th- that's the way it is. Let me tell you, the work that you are doing today, if I tell you, you know what, I've got a job for you. You can do that very same work that you're doing now without any money. I will not pay you. Will you do it? <laughs> I don't know. You want money. Why? Because the money inspires you. I need to live, and I need finances. That's why I'm going to do this thing that I'm going to do. Okay? Now, money will go, you, you will say, well, because of money, it gives me the energy to do what I do. Then you'll find a higher motivation than finances, which is love. You'll find somebody, uh, like my one friend, he, he, would, um, he, could in, he, he could have inherited a farm. So his uncle, his, his grandfather said to him, listen, don't marry so young. He was 20. Says, just wait until you're 21. Then I'll give you a farm. He said, keep the farm. I'm getting married. Because he loves her. So the motiva- what motivated him was love, which is the greatest force that drives our life. The greatest force that can ever drive your life is the revelation of God's love for you. Your fear for hell, your, 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 your uh, um, having a carrot in front of your nose, <laughs> saying, listen, if you do this, then God's going to bless you. Those things will motivate to a certain point. But true motivation comes from the love of God. You can go and read that in Ephesians chapter 4. Let's go and read that. Just want to find the right verse here. And I think I've got the wrong verse here. It's the verse 319 then. Here it is, sorry. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19. Listen to listen from verse 17. It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. He says, I I pray that you may comprehend how high, how wide, how deep, and how long the love of God is. Why? So that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. So what will fill your life with the fullness of God? understanding how high, how wide, how deep, and how long the love of God is for you. That's what will fill your life with the fullness of God. And I can testify of that. My life, through the message of what I must do for God, so that I can be blessed, my life, I mean, I had a lot of good works, but my life, my heart, was filled with hypocrisy. 
thinking I'm better than others, looking at the works of people, judging people by their works, condemning them all the time. I was all the time, my life was filled with hierarchy, thinking who's the, higher, who's the highest and the greatest anointed and who's the least. But when I started to understand the dimensions of His love for me, I found that my life is being flooded with the person of God. Amen. The Bible says in John chapter 1 verse 12, as many as believe on His name is given the right to be called the children of God. We need to be able to believe in God. Belief is a result of understanding and seeing and comprehending a good character. You cannot believe in somebody or in something unless that is believable. There's some things you say, this is unbelievable. Why is it unbelievable? Because it doesn't meet the standard where you can believe it. And so many times, the picture of God that we have is an unbelievable picture. We cannot believe in such a person. Now remember, the word believe means to have your mind at rest. To rest your mind in the integrity of somebody else. You know, when I leave home and I go away for a week, you know, I believe in my wife. My, my mind is, I mean, there's many things that must be done at home. There's many things. I mean, I can believe in her because my mind is at rest at who she is. Not at what she will do, but at who she is. And who she is was defined by what she has done over the last couple of years. In the same way, we cannot believe in God without looking at what He does for us. Amen. And if, if He does things for us that makes us believe in Him, we find it very easy. We find it's natural. Here we believe in God. But if Elena goes and, and um, every time I ask her to do something or she sees this something at the house is not right or whatever, and she just does nothing. I cannot believe in her. It's impossible. It's impossible to believe in her. It's impossible to rest my mind. I will go over to a place where I'll do it by myself and try and work it up and try and fix it myself. But if I can believe in her, I believe she's going to pick up the kids at quarter to one at school. The younger one, the other one, half past one. She's going to pick them up. I know that. I believe that. She's done it all the time. It's natural. That's who she is. She loves her kids. And when, when they come home, she's going to help them with the homework and teach them and everything, send them to school. Maybe a bit irritated sometimes, but she's going to do it. She's never irritated. Just a joke. Okay. <laughs> You know, so, in the same way, we cannot believe in God if a picture of God is painted that, doesn't, that our hearts doesn't allow to trust. For instance, if you believe that God's going to put you through hard times to, to teach you something, you cannot believe in Him, even if you want to. Even if you say you believe in Him, in that area of life you don't. Imagine I go to you and I, and I say... I'm going to put you through hard times to teach you something. Will you trust me? Will you believe in me? <laughs> it's, I mean, not real hard times, you know. I will just, while you drive in your car, organize somebody to just run into you. And you might die, might not, but at least, 
at least you will learn something. I want to teach you, you know, in love. Will you trust me to look after your kids? Why not? I mean, but it's the same thing with God. The picture that's been painted about God is a God that will allow you or put you in the desert to purify you because His love cannot do a pro- His blood cannot do a proper job. Okay? Um, he, he, he partners up with Satan because... Um, you know, he's God that loves, so he cannot bring sickness over you, but when you need sickness, he'll organize the guy. <laughs> the the hitman. God's got a hitman called the devil <laughs> working for him, you know? No, he, but that's a picture that's actually painted, which is not painted in our cognitive mind, but in our subconscious mind. And the subconscious mind is where we live from. That's why we, when we find the recession, come, when the recession comes in, people struggle to believe that they will be provided for and everything. That all of a sudden, a major stress, major everything. Because what the church has been taught through the years concerning finances is just God will not do anything for you unless you do something for Him. And if it's not going well with you, it's an indication of something wrong somewhere. So when the hard time comes, we cannot believe. We cannot have a mind at rest at the integrity of God. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 13. Let's read, read a little bit about the attributes of love. Amen. Verse 5, it says, Charity or love suffers long, and love is kind. Love envies not. This is verse 4. Love envies not. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly, seek not, seek not her own, is not easily provoked, thinks no evil, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and love never fails. Now, this is written as the attributes of love in 1 Corinthians 13 that we are supposed to see manifest in the church and in the lives of believers. But I want to just change this a little bit around because we always see it as God, you know, in Jesus saying, listen, love your neighbor, love yourself, live in love, live in love. And this is how you must live. And if you don't live like this, you are not in love and you're not obeying the two major commandments, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. And then you're actually in trouble and you're going to try again. And uh, I remember years ago I said to somebody, "Um, no, I want to preach about uh, they phoned me. They said, Matthew, you're going you're gonna to have a, an outreach here. We invited you as a guest speaker. Can you just give us a topic? I said, I'm going to preach on the love of God. So the guy said to me, well, that's wonderful. But um, and they phoned back later. They said, that's wonderful, but can't you preach on something deeper? <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> My goodness. Something deeper. Imagine my wife comes up to me and says to me, I love you. I love you so much. And I tell her, 
Can't you just say something deeper? <laughs> I mean, something with substance, man. I want the deeper revelation. Come on, man. The deepest thing you can ever do to somebody is love him and show love. Amen. So we're preaching about the love of God. And, and here we look at the love, the attributes of love. The Bible says, uh, 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 love suffers long. Now, it does say that God is love. Isn't it? If God is love and love suffers long, what does it mean? It means God suffers long. And you know, if I tell you, listen, love suffers long, it doesn't mean it suffers long with a long face. Well, I'm just suffering long. I hope it's over soon. No, no, no. You're taking it with a smile. That's love that suffers long. Amen. So, in the same way, if love suffers long, it means God suffers long. It's not as if He's tomorrow just going to give up on you. No ways. I mean, if this counts for us, I'm sure it counts for God. If this is the standard of love, we cannot live a higher standard of love than what God lives. Isn't it? We can only, the Bible says it's enough for us to be like our master. We can never be higher than our master. Amen. So we are like our God. For He made us in His image and in His likeness. So if this is good for us, it's good for God. Love suffers long and love is kind. Do you know what kind means? Go and study the word kindness in the Webster's Dictionary. It means it's the character trait of a person that delights in contributing to the happiness of others by granting their wishes, supplying their wants, and lifting their distresses. Love is kind. God is kind. That means God delights himself in. He delights. That, 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 it doesn't mean he'll do it because he must and he's God. And he's now got this covenant with Jesus and I must be good to you. So, well, actually they got away with murder. So I'll just, oh, Jesus, you sit here. I actually want to murder them. But Jesus in between. God, don't kill them. God, don't. No, 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 no. It was God the Father that came up with a plan to give Jesus because He loves you. For God so loved the world. Amen. So God delights in contributing to your happiness by granting your wishes, supplying your wants, and lifting your distresses. Hallelujah. Love is kind. I want to just introduce you to a kind God which, which showed His kindness in Jesus. What was the greatest need man ever had? The greatest need man ever had was to be redeemed from sin and the law or works righteousness as a way unto salvation. People needed desperately. That was the greatest need of man. To be delivered from this yoke of bondage which was works righteousness for they never qualified and only qualified for condemnation. So here comes God which is kind, and He joyfully supplies to our greatest need. He lifts our distress. He supplies our wants. He grants our wishes. Amen. 
Hallelujah. He's a kind God. So God, love is kind. Love envies not. You know, so when you do something wrong, or when you do something right, you know, so many times, have you ever seen, you just get, when, ah oh man, you know, I remember the time when, um, whenever you get something right, and you're happy under the law system, it was almost as if God was jealous. You know? Oh, he got it right. Oh, he's full of pride now. So now we're going to take some stuff away from him again because he's now just manifested some pride. He comes and he testifies and says, you know what, we had an outreach with a thousand people. Oh, yeah, and he didn't say, praise the Lord, so he wasn't giving me glory. <laughs> the glory belongs to me. Oh, yeah, next crusade, 50 people only. <laughs> only one miracle. No ways. God loves us. Amen. God loves us. It says, um, it does not parade itself. He's not puffed up. You know, God's number one vision when he, was di- when he died on the cross was you. I like that song that we sang that, you know, he died and in that he was thinking of us. Hallelujah didn't come and try and parade himself, try to be the big shot. He came in humility, a humble heart. So whenever, you know when you speak to somebody and you see he's humble? That is God. That's how he looks. When you speak to God, you don't find somebody that's, well, you know, you, you, you want to talk about your things, and then somebody else will say, somebody that's full of pride, well, listen, when, have you ever met people, you, you share about something in your life? And he will not listen, waiting for the time when you're quiet so that he can say what he wants and tell you about how big his car is, how high his house is, and everything. Like my one friend, Javier Vessels, he always said, and he was this very rich millionaire, so he would always, um, if somebody wanted to visit him, he said, listen, you can come to my house and we can visit, but you don't talk about your kids or what you're going to buy because that's very boring. And God is not like that, you know. He comes, He's got a humble heart. He's, he's, he's got a heart that, you know, when he, when, you come, when, he comes, when you come to Him, He will go and sit down with you on the ground and talk to you. That's the picture you must have of God. Amen. He's high and lifted up because He is so humble. Amen. Then it says, um, it does not behave, it's, it's not puffed up, it does not behave itself in an un- unseemly way. That means, you know, behaving unseemly means, I'm not going to say, I love you and break your arm to teach you. That's behaving in an unseemly way. It's not a right way. God will never do that. He's not going to punish you to teach you. We don't have, like I said, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors in hard times. It's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. How does the church, how do you teach the church something? You come down to a service like this, and somebody stands in front, and he teaches you out of the scriptures. That's as simple as what, what it is. A teacher is not somebody with a, a clean cussie, you know, with a, 
diabetes injection there that will give you the sickness and AIDS and cancer and this and this and this. And now I'm going to teach now, today. Teaching people. Who's first? Who wants to be taught by God? Nobody. You know? God doesn't work like that. We live in a world where things break. We live in a world where people become sick. And those things happen to people. And when that happens, many times we find people see the end of their own strength. Then you find that person come and is willing to listen to the gospel. And then he's being taught from the scriptures by the Holy Spirit. That's how simple it is. Amen. So God, He doesn't come in a wrong way. He, came, he comes in a good way, teaching you, loving you. He's, he's, got, a, he's got equity of character. Amen. Love does not seek its own, is not easily provoked. Think of that. Love is not easily provoked. In Afrikaans, liefde vip omself nie. Okay? God's not easily provoked. That means it's not very easy to make God angry. It's not easy. Easily provoked. You drive in the car, something goes wrong. You know? Easily provoked. But God's not like that. He's not easily provoked. And so many times, I remember when I was in Bible school at the time, what I was thinking is, God is so easily, He wants to bless me because He loves me. But the things I do wrong can so easily irritate Him. That He wants to bless me, but He can't because of my sin, or my unconfessed sin, or my wrong works, or my wrong attitude. Then He stands there and He says, well, I love you, I want to bless you, but because of this one wrong thing in your life, you know, this has stopped my blessing and I cannot bless you anymore. And then this almighty God cannot do anything for me because all of His might is, is, can only be unleashed in my, perfect, in my perfection. How will He ever do anything for anybody? No. When we can come to the throne of grace, amen, where God sits on the mercy seat and talk to God from the platform of mercy and grace, then His blood can wash our sins. And He can make us clean and we can live a clean life. You can never first live a clean life and then get God, you know, to do something for you. Unless, and and, and this afternoon I I made a session for television and um, this is how it came out. You cannot think that you need to repent from your sin, serve Jesus, and then live a holy life to keep your salvation. What you need to do is, first allow, let your heart Allow God to serve you. When God serves you, you will find the way in which He serves you will wash you from your sin. And then if you allow Him to continually serve you with the message of His grace and His unconditional love, you'll find you will maintain a holy life. Hallelujah. Now, the holy life's power comes from the Love and the humbleness of heart that is in God and not man's ability. Because you'll never be able to do it by your own works. Never. I mean, after all, the Bible says, the, the word, I mean, the word gospel means good news. You know, if good news 
is not good news, it is not good news. Isn't it? I mean, good news needs to be good to be good news. So Jesus had good news. The good news was to all the sinners and all the people out there, listen, I've got good news for you. Listen to this. How does this sound for good news? Guys, I've got good news for you. The reputation of God is being written under your name. Now, that's good news. That is real good news, man. That can make you happy. Happier than being invited to the spur for a burger. Amen. Real good news. What about good news like this? Romans 5.19 Listen guys, I've got good news for you. Through the disobedience of one man, all people became sinners, but through the obedience of one, you shall be made righteous. I mean, it's written just like that in Romans 5.19. What about something like this? For God so agape, the word agape, you, that He gave His Son. You can say agape in the Greek way. Say it for us. Loud, please. Agape. Is that good? Amen. Agape. (laughs) Hallelujah. I'm getting there, man. (laughs) Amen. So, here He comes, He says, I agape you. The, The meaning of that, if you go and study that out, it means that I am content. It's the word content. Go and study it out. To be content with. It comes from the root word to lose your breath. In adoration. So here God comes. He makes something in His image and in His likeness. It gets tricked by Satan into a system of destruction. But when he looks at it, he still sees what is made. I mean, I'm married to Helena, you know. If it should happen, and I, I believe it will not happen, but if it should happen that she gets married to somebody else, I mean, does her value change? No ways. Just a name. <laughs> Just a name. That, that's it. And that's actually what happened. You know, man was married to God, then man, Adam went, and he married works righteousness. And divorced God. That's why God hates divorce. Because it speaks of how man parted from God to be married to another system. Hallelujah. But the wonderful thing is, when, whenever, even when we were married with another, I mean, if I love Eliana with all my heart, you know, and I've seen this with, with people that, that, that I've counseled. You'll find a, a husband and wife got divorced. But this guy will say to me, whenever I see my wife, even when she's now married 10 years with somebody else, my heart jumps. I love her. Maybe she left him. You know? <laughs> Thank you, brother. <laughs> Your women are like that. <laughs> she, 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 she leaves him But if she leaves him and you can be somebody that forgives, when you see her, 
that first original thing that you, I mean, that, that what, what made your heart jump will do it again. But you're just married to somebody else. That's the whole difference. So man got married to the works system, the law judgmental system of condemnation, and said, I will be like God by knowing good and evil, knowing what's right and wrong. But then God saw man like that. And I've got good news for you. When God saw you, even in your mind, you married to a legalistic ju judgmental system, I will tell you, it's still, you are still making God's heart jump. He's still losing his breath in adoration for you. But thank God, he's got, a letter, he's got a letter here in the New Testament telling you the husband that you think you married to is not on holiday. He's been dead already 2,000 years. You can now be married to Jesus, to married to God again. Unified with Him. For He loves you. The Bible says, love never fails. The Bible says, love never thinks evil. Love never thinks evil. Now let me explain that. Here it says, love never thinks evil. That means God never thinks evil. Now what is evil? Let me define that. Uh, Matthew Nine. I tell you, I'm enjoying this service. Amen. God's loving people. Hallelujah. Matthew 9. And um, let me find the right verse there. They, they, they brought a paralytic before Jesus, and Jesus said, Your sins are forgiven. In the Afrikaans, it literally says, your sins are forgiven. Then they said, listen, listen. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, verse 3, And behold, a certain of the scribes said unto themselves, This is blasphemy. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, say, Wherefore think you evil in your hearts? So here's a man. Listen to this now. I want to explain this. He comes paralyzed to Jesus. They believed, the Jews believed that time, according to Deuteronomy 28, that if you've got sickness or disease or something on you, it's because of your sin. For Deuteronomy 28 verse 15 says, These curses shall come upon you if you don't obey all the laws and commandments. So here's somebody paralyzed. Obviously he's a sinner. And I mean, the, the, the paralytic knows that he's a sinner as well. He doesn't know what he's done wrong. But he knows some sin. And you know, sometimes that mentality makes you not think logically. There was the blind man, born blind. Jesus healed him. Then they asked Jesus, was it his sin or his parents' sin? But he was born blind. So when did... <laughs> was it his sin or his parents' sin that made him blind? Because they believed that sickness was as a result of sin. Yet Jesus comes, if you want the person to be healed, what must you declare? You're forgiven. Declaring forgiveness. This guy never confessed, he never said anything, he was just there, a paralytic. Jesus declared forgiveness over him. If he could believe the word of forgiveness, he could stand up and walk. So by faith he can be saved from his problems. Okay? So... Your sins are forgiven. Then they said, this man blasphemes. 
So what they were seeing as blasphemy was a man declaring somebody else that is still bearing the curse of sin as forgiven. And he didn't do anything good even for God. He can't. He can't walk. So, okay, you, this guy, he didn't bring a lamb. He brought nothing according to the Jewish tradition. And all of a sudden, here this person, who's not even the priest, declares this man forgiven. This is blasphemy. And then Jesus said, If you think that I cannot declare somebody that's done nothing good for me as forgiven, you are thinking evil in your heart. Then the Bible says, Love thinks no evil. What does that mean? He always sees you as forgiven, as pertaining to the law. If you can believe, you know, one of the Old Testament prophets, I must find that verse, I read it long ago. I can't find it anymore. It says, one of the prophets said to Jesus, uh, one of the prophets said to God, he said, God, could you not have made it a bit more difficult? Because nobody's going to believe this. He said, it's too easy to believe. It's too easy to believe. Make it a little bit difficult because then people will say, okay, yes, I can buy into it. But this is too good to be true. That's what the meaning, one of the meanings of the word gospel is. The almost too good to be true news. It must be so good that you feel only God can do this. It must be so good that only God can get glory for your salvation. All that you do is you say, God, if you love me this way, I accept your love. And His love will bring forth a change in your life. His love will bring forth holiness in your life. The commitment in my heart towards my wife is a 100% result of her love for me. Her commitment towards me is because I love her. Commitment is born out of love. Amen. I tell you now, we are not together because of a paper we signed 16 years ago. That's not why we're together. If we didn't love each other at all, do you think we would be together today? 16 years later. Hating one another all the time. No ways. We'll be looking for a way out. So it was not my commitment that keeps us together, or her commitment. What keeps us together is the love we have for each other. Amen. So what will keep you in a good relationship with God? Understanding how high, how wide, how deep, and how long His love is for you. Understanding that will make the fullness of God dwell within you. Let's read Proverbs 16 verse 6. It says, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear, or the correct word there is not fear, it's the reverence. And by the reverence of the Lord, men depart from evil. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. How is iniquity purged from your heart? By hearing the mercy of God. Amen. How will you part from evil? What is evil? 
to think that you are not paid for. Remember? Proverbs 16.6. Yeah, Proverbs 16.6. So by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, or now a very good one about fear, remember uh, 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 Satan came to Jesus and said to Jesus, worship me. Then Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 5 and said, you shall worship the Lord your God only and Him shall you serve. In Deuteronomy 5, it actually says, you shall fear the Lord your God only if you go and read the original. But Jesus changed the word fear into the word worship. So you can take the Old Testament word fear and put in the word worship. Worship God. So by, by, uh, by this verse, it's by mercy and truth. What is truth? No consciousness of sin. Amen. Um, it says, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear or the worshipping of God, men departs from evil. Evil people, evil in the New Testament definition is thinking that the blood of Jesus was not enough to purge people. Evil in the New Testament, evil in the Old Testament was breaking the law system. Evil in the New Testament is breaking the New Testament law. What is the New Testament law? The New Testament law is the law of life in Christ. That means in Christ the life of God is your life. Amen. That's the good news of His unconditional love for you. Well, I know that makes God happy. If you love your child, you know, have you ever thought, and if I look at my, my children now, they, 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 he's doing something and he's maybe going through a time where at his age it's difficult for him. You wish that you can just quickly go into his body and do it for him. Because you've got wisdom now. You know, we, we look back and we say, I wish I knew, if I can only know what I know now. When I was in the army, and when I went to Bible school, things would have been different. Because I've got other knowledge. So if I could incarnate myself into who I was, I could have changed that person's life. You know, God actually did that. He incarnated Himself into human flesh, representing all of us. Amen. And lived our life for us. Got the grand prize... And now we are co-heirs with Him. He's, he's giving, he's, he's, how can I say it, he's um, making His life and the grand prize He got for His good life available to all people for free, to whosoever can believe this. To whosoever, what must we believe? We must believe in what is done and its consequences. What has He done? Behold the Lamb of God. For those of you that are here for the first time, this is, this is what happened in the Old Testament. They brought a lamb to Jesus. After they brought a lamb to the priest. That lamb actually spoke of Jesus. The lamb had to be sinless. Okay? Nothing wrong with him. Perfect. No defect. Completely perfect. Then the priest would inspect the lamb. 
When the man came and he brought the lamb, the priest didn't go to the man and say, and say let me see after the order of your writers. You know, let me check your ears, let me check, you have a knob here, do you, are you okay? No, no, he never inspected the man, inspected the lamb. For the man didn't have to be perfect, the lamb had to be perfect. The man wasn't pardoned for his perfection, he was pardoned before because of the perfection of the lamb. Amen. So here, the man was a sinner, everybody knew that. Even if the man came to the priest and talked about how he prayed last week, the priest will just say, yes, 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 yes. where's your lamb? <laughs> For the lamb is what it's all about. That's what I like that song so much. We can sing it every Sunday. It's fine. Okay. Worthy is the lamb. When he was worthy, it means I'm innocent. With the innocence of the lamb. So here the priest comes, lays hands. When he lays hands, the son of the son is transferred to the lamb. The lamb then stands as guilty because all the son of man was transferred onto the lamb. And then the lamb was slain. What happened when the lamb was slain? The son died. Dead. <laughs> That's good news. That sounds like gospel to me. That's, the lamb died with the sin of the man. Then the man walked away with the innocence of the lamb. And what good did he do? Nothing. He just brought a lamb. And then John chapter 1 verse 29, Behold, look at the lamb of God. Because man could never provide such a lamb. Not even in thousands of years of trying to obey the law. No man could ever provide a lamb like that. Then God provided the lamb. <laughs> it says, behold, look at. Not in vision, look. Here he is, the lamb of God. What does he do? Takes away the sin of the church. No, no, no. The sin of the world. So that we can declare the innocence. Innocence to people. Why must they be? Why did he take away the sin of the world? So that people can come and receive salvation. Amen. Forevermore. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to tell you, once you start to see people through the eyes of the blood of the Lamb, your life changes. The way you see other people, it changes. The way you deal with people changes. It becomes like the way Jesus dealt with people. You don't condemn them anymore. You bring out their true value. Hallelujah. You start to speak the truth about them. You bring mercy and truth that can purge iniquity from their hearts. That m message of how merciful God is will bring worship and reverence in their hearts towards God and then they'll depart from this evil way of condemnation. Hallelujah. I want to end off with Luke 15 again. <clears throat> I'm not going to read it, but it's just a story about the prodigal son. You know, who was the richest of the two sons? After the, the, youngest, the, sec, the younger son lost everything, who was the richest? According to me, they were both equally poor. Because the one didn't even have a goat 
to have a party with his friends. He was just a slave of the Father. That's all. Working for the Father. Actually bearing a grudge in his heart towards the Father. For Father, I've worked for you. I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. But I don't even get anything. But in the beginning, if you read John 15, uh, Luke 15, you will see the Bible says the younger came to the father and says, give me my portion of the inheritance. And then the Bible says, then God divided the inheritance between the two brothers. So where was the father then living? With the sons. Amen. The one abused what he had, and the other one could not believe that it was given before the time. The younger brother actually had more of a revelation of his wealth than the elder brother. He went away and wasted it all. Okay? Didn't use it for what it was purposed for. Okay? This grace message purpose is to manifest the very life of God in us. It's not a license to sin. It is to manifest the very life of God within us. Here was the elder brother. At home, working, 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 working. And then the father came and gave the fatted calf which belonged to this brother already. And the father was never thinking evil. So he never even thought that this son would not want the brother to have this. Love thinks no evil. He wasn't thinking anything bad about the son. Or about the other brother? The other brother comes, says, this is not right. He never calls him his brother. He says, this son of yours. <clears throat> Wasted every, all your things with prostitutes. He never saw it was his. There always so many times in church, and I grew up like that, was church, Jesus has got a life, and I have got a life. I couldn't believe that his life was my life. I want to declare to you the life of Jesus is your life. God's point of reference concerning you is the very life that is possessed in human flesh seated at the right hand of God where he represents the human race. He loves you, man. He's given his life, he's given his son's life to be written behind your name. Please, Partake in the inheritance of God. The teaching of the blessings of Abraham has stolen from us this thing of, th this message that the life of Jesus is our inheritance. Because the blessings of Abraham was a new car and a new jet and a new house. Where the blessing of Abraham is actually that he was righteous, free from his works. That's the blessing of Abraham. It would come to the Gentiles. Hallelujah. I want to declare to you, you are loved of God. Maybe you don't understand everything I've said. I want to tell you this one thing I know for sure. It's that this, the word falls on your heart. In the, your deepest part of your heart, there's something that says, man, this is good news. Maybe if you find this out tonight for the first time, you might think, 
you want to defend your old way that you've always been thinking along those lines, you know? I want to just tell you, just all people make mistakes. It's God's love for you that we are preaching. Accept His love. Accept His love. Allow Him to serve you so that you can be set free. We don't set ourselves free to get a stamp of approval so that God can serve us with eternal life. We receive eternal life by Him serving us. Do you know the Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore? And in John 13, I think it's John 13, He took a towel, girded Himself, and washed His disciples' feet. I can tell you now He'll do the same today. For you. God is a servant. He serves us. That doesn't make us His God. It is God that's just serving people. Hallelujah. Allow Him to serve you with His love. Amen, amen. Let's close our eyes. <clears throat> Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I want you just to envision that story about the prodigal son and the elder brother. How both of them walked in poverty. At the end of the day, the younger was poor because he abused what was given for free. And the elder could never see, but was working for the father. I want you to see that righteousness the stamp of approval, the stamp that says righteous with the righteousness of God. You can't stop to work for it. It's given to you. Holiness is not something you need to strive for. It's something given to you. To be well-pleasing before God is not something that you can work for. Imagine somebody, a sinner from the street that calls upon the name of Jesus. God comes and gives him everything you ever desired through your heart prayer and fasting and tithing and hard work. I mean, that is, it's almost like unfair but this gospel is almost unfair. We never deserved such a salvation by our works. Never. Neither did Jesus deserve to be made sin. We never deserved to be made sinners by the disobedience of Adam. But we were. In the same way we now, through what Christ has done, are made righteous. If you can believe that, you will experience the Holy Spirit washing you by the blood of Jesus, washing your mind by the blood of Jesus from all your wicked works. Hallelujah. I just feel in my heart I need to share one more verse. Please just look at me. Um, <clears throat> hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hebrews 9 verse 14. 
talking about the blood of Jesus that washes our sins. Here it says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, listen to this, purge your conscience from dead works to serve God. So what was He talking about here? He was talking about dead works. It was works that people did trying to serve God. It's called dead works. What was those dead works? It was the works the Pharisees thought they had to do in order to bless God. He says, how much more shall the blood of Jesus cleanse you from your dead works or sins? That's a shocker. But it's written there. The Bible says if we confess our sins, the Bible says if we walk in the light as He is in the light, then the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sin. If we walk in the revelation as He is in the revelation, then the blood of Christ will cleanse our minds from all our dead works that we did to serve God. Oh, Jesus. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you that we could come here together. Thank you for your love, my God. Thank you that you care for us. Thank you that you love every person. You know, if you, maybe you've heard this message for the very first time in your life. I want to just, I don't even want you to put up your hand or stand up or do anything. This is just between you and God. But right where you are, you can just say, Jesus, I call on your name, which is, the Bible says you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Will you call upon this act of mercy and grace of God and say, as from today, I relate to God on the basis of Jesus and innocence. Receive his service to you and let his blood, his life that flowed out of him, cleanse you from your works mentality, which is seen as sin before God. Allow the Holy Spirit to just set you free in your belief system right now and receive the salvation of God that you can be saved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, the Pharisees, which were so learned, needed salvation. They knew the Scriptures off by heart, five, first five books of the Bible. They were, they were intelligent in the Scriptures. And these days, most of us has got some knowledge of God and of the Scripture. I want to tell you, you can be saved from the condemnation that's in your heart, knowing your qualification in Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just receive. Maybe, you know, so many times we, when we, we received Jesus as our Savior, we, we basically received Him as a taskmaster and said, from today I will work for you, God. No, no. Tonight I want you to receive the life of Jesus as your life and live from that point of reference from now on. That is receiving Jesus and receiving salvation. For those of you that watch by the internet, 
right there where you are. You can just say, I make Jesus my Lord. And say, I accept the Lordship of Christ. Just accept it right now and say, I believe it in my heart. I feel the persuasion coming in my heart. Maybe my mind doesn't understand everything. But in my heart, I feel and experience the love of God. Respond to His love by saying, Thank you, Jesus. You are my Lord. As from today, I'm not my own Lord. Works righteousness is not my Lord. You are my Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen and amen.